Are you hesitating to take the next step in your e-commerce journey? Founder Plus has you covered with proven frameworks tailored to your business needs for fast results, a supportive community of over 30,000 like-minded entrepreneurs and weekly live mentorship sessions. Founder Plus is your key to success. Try Founder Plus today for just $1 for seven days and start building your dream business with confidence. You can visit founder.com forward slash start dollar trial or click the link in the description to claim your trial. This is episode number 185 with Melody McCloskey of the Founder Podcast. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. Now. Now, the Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Go, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amoroso, Robert Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Before we start today's episode, I just want to let you know that our goal at Founder is to help entrepreneurs succeed however we can by giving away high quality content in the form of interviews, blog posts, podcasts, YouTube videos, you name it. We put out so much content to help you. And another interesting project that we're working on right now is partnering with world-class founders like Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills like negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Founder Podcast. My name is Nathan Chan and I'm coming to you from Melbourne, Australia, hometown, homegrown. First of all, I just want to apologize for this recording. Maybe the sound's a little off, a little ghetto. I don't know what happened. I bought one of those new iMacs and I don't know, it just all of a sudden today just died and now it won't come back on. So I'm actually stuck using my laptop can't because you know with Mac there's so many different connections and stuff I can't seem to connect my special you know professional microphone to my laptop but I've got to record this so I can get this to you guys on time we're closing in on you know 200 episodes and we've released you know a new episode every single Thursday you know Thursday night Australia time to you guys for a long time right every single week and I, I can't miss this obviously so I hope that this sounds okay. I'm going to keep it short and sweet. Uh, working on some big stuff at the moment. Just really going deep. We're really going deep on optimizing uh, what we've kind of produced right now, our, our existing content, our existing products. And and uh, as, as I said to you guys, we're launching 12 courses this year, so we've got a lot to do. But the focus of this quarter is just optimizing and taking stock with what we have and uh, yeah, we've got a lot of cool stuff in store for you guys right now. We're pitching teachers uh, for courses, which is really, really exciting. You can probably expect some sort of announcement if you are on our email newsletter. Well, we'll probably be looking for some certain teachers for certain things. But 
Anyways, guys, let's talk about today's guest. Her name's Melody McCloskey, and she's the founder of a company called Style Seat. Now, what I find interesting is, you know, this is a massive, massive company. And what I find interesting is, is essentially how she had to make a pivot and change the business model of the brand where she kind of opted, I guess, for, you know, she, she's based out of Silicon Valley and she kind of opted for the more, I guess, unconventional approach to, to building a business um, because she was looking at, you know, building uh, a massive kind of marketplace but then kind of decided to make a, a really interesting pivot uh, so, you know, lots of gold was shared around acquisition, business models, validation. And, you know, I think it's you know, one thing we don't really talk about. It's very difficult to find that ultimate scalable business model. Even a founder, to be honest, you know, we haven't 100% locked it down. We will, and I have. we have a strong hypothesis and vision and focus we're working towards you know, building this course platform with eventually hundreds of courses, like next level courses, kind of like, you know, the Linda uh, for entrepreneurs, lynda.com or, you know, a Coursera.com purely focused on founders, really high level, next level courses. But, you know, we haven't, we haven't hit that yet. So, you know, we're still kind of seeking and, you know, we've been running the business for almost five years, which is crazy, right? It's just, it's just you know, another adjacent product that we look to, to add, but it's going to be a core, core, very, very core part of Founder. So let's not digress. Melody shares a ton of gold around her unconventional approach to building her business and style seat success. So guys, if you want to learn more on how to make sure you're on the right track, really understanding your business model and really understanding how to make those hard calls, uh, you're going to love this episode. So that's it from me. Now let's jump into the show. The first question that I ask uh, everyone that uh, we speak to is, how did you get your job? That's a great question. Um, I got my job because I hired myself. <laughs> um, I had had a regular job at a regular company. I worked at a television network that was started by Al Gore, very, very small, um, called Current TV. And while I was there, I was working on things like deals with partners and growing the department and hiring and growing revenue and driving growth um, and pulling really long hours. And one day I realized, wait a second, I'm working until 11 p.m. every day for someone else. I should be doing this for myself. So I, like after I made that realization, I, I spent a long time thinking about starting a company and what I wanted to do. And I actually started Style Seat in my spare time um, and on weekends. Yeah, wow. And Starseed, like it's, um, well, how can I say this? It's a very, very large marketplace. Can you kind of uh, give our audience, for those of everyone listening that hasn't heard of Starseed and and the market traction, are you able to give some numbers and and share just just how far you've you've grown it? Sure. So so quickly, we do two things. We are business tools for independent beauty professionals. So hairstylists, makeup artists, nail artists, we give them software to run their entire business soup to nuts and let them focus on their client and their art and their skills. And then on the other side, we're also a destination for consumers to search book appointments and pay for 
visiting these beauty professionals. So we've powered, let's see, we launched in 2011. And since then, we've powered over $3.5 billion in revenue for our businesses. We've booked over 75 million appointments, and we're in 82% of the U.S. And I think the most interesting part of that is that we are 100% organic. So we don't really have a marketing team. We have no sales. It's a matter of you know professionals coming to us, hearing about our products from other professionals, signing up, and the same thing on the consumer side. So it's been really incredible to see such growth come out of a, a love for the product and a need for it. Yeah, wow. Um, that's crazy. So so how big is your team right now and what, what does it mainly consist of? Developers and support? Um, we are small because I have learned that I really love a small company a lot more than I like bigger companies. Um, we're about 50% developers and 50% product and support and you know, social media. So we have, we have a teeny tiny marketing element, um, but it's mostly engineers. Got you. And when you say small, can you, can you, can you tell us like, uh, I'm curious cause like you're, you guys are based out of San Francisco, like small could be a hundred people to do like, yeah, I'm curious. Yeah. Yeah. We have, um, around 40 people. Yeah. Okay. And, um, when you say I'm, I'm, I just want to delve a little deeper on that. When you say like uh, you prefer smaller teams, like can you can you tell us more about that? Uh, well, our revenue could support a bigger team, but what I've learned is that bigger teams are not necessarily better. I mean, it really comes down to preference, right? As as a founder, there's I think traditionally been a habit in Silicon Valley to sort of say, oh, yeah, my company, we have this many people, and that's sort of a measure of how good your company is, right, how big you've been able to grow the headcount. And what I've realized is there are huge benefits to having really small teams. It's a preference of mine. I like being able to know every single person and run over to them and have a, a you know really great personal relationship with everyone on my team. I find that the closer relationship the CEO has with the different people, the more honesty and transparency you can have, the more efficient communication is. Um, I mean, there's so many, so many benefits. As you get bigger, you know, you're doing less of the people stuff and you're sort of much more separated from the product and the decisions and HR becomes a bigger issue and legal and things like that. And I've just found I really like to spend my time focusing on the product and our customers and like working hands-on with the team. Mm, okay, that makes sense. Because, um, yeah, it's an interesting statement. I never really heard anyone say that before because um, usually you think to yourself, and I, I don't know, this is just me from my own experiences, that um, you know, usually think to yourself, well, you know, growth, you want to grow. And, you know, if, if you don't want to hire more people, you want to keep the team relatively small. It's usually by choice because of limitations of capital or, or growth limitations at that point in time, but you're saying that you've strategically tried to keep the team relatively contained and small and, and in, in small in your eyes, right? Uh, you know, your perception and for, for spe- the specific reason around oper- operations, right? Like operationally and, and just how the kind of, I guess, op- like the, the kind of way that you want to lead and grow the company yourself. Yeah. It, you know, 
from like a strategic standpoint, I think that smaller teams are more efficient and we're able to do a lot with a very small team. Growing a team, growing your engineers, for example, does not mean that you're going to get more product out the door. So I really like deeply challenging my team to be more efficient on a regular basis. I mean, we do a lot of things that are very different from other companies in Silicon Valley. We are 50% female. I have an all-female executive team. Most of the people on my board are female. And I think because we are different than what is standard, we think about things completely differently and we do things differently. And, And it's more important to be really efficient and super close to our customer and to have a lot more money in the bank than sort of spend it on people and sort of feel like we have a big business. So I don't think that there's any right or wrong, by the way. I think it really comes down to preference and team and culture, and this just happens to be ours. Yeah, no, that's interesting. Um, I'd like to, I'd love for you to share, like, what are some other things that you guys are doing different to, I guess, traditional Silicon Valley that that's working for you guys out of, out of you know, preferences of culture, team, strategy? I'm really curious. It's hard to say because I don't spend too much time looking at what other people are doing. <laughs> um, like people are always like, oh, what are the hottest companies that are coming out? And I'm like, I am having so much fun running my business. I know it incredibly deeply and anything relating to it, I'm there and our customer, but I'm not like hanging out on TechCrunch, for example, and like looking up tech trends. I mean, I would also say, it's funny because I'll talk to other people in Silicon Valley and they'll say things like, oh, you haven't, you know, it's been a couple of years since our last fundraise. And people will say, oh, are you doing okay? You know, because of that. And my response is, we're doing really well. Growth is extremely strong. Um, our product is in a great place. Our customer is happy. We don't have to raise. And so while other people would say, oh, well, if you could raise, why don't you could do that? My response is, because I don't want to give up. I don't want to take more dilution. I don't want to bring on more partners necessarily. Things are really good right now. And our growth is great, right? And sort of everyone's really happy. So I don't know. I feel like there are sort of these pressures that Silicon Valley puts on you if you really pay attention and you're you're having lots of conversations. And if you filter that stuff out and just say, what is best for my business, for our culture, for our product and our community? you might make different decisions. Hmm. So are you sacrificing profit for growth right now? No, what I'm saying is, um, you know, if you raise another round, you take more dilution to the business. And it means that you then have to exit for, let's say, two to three X, what you would have to pre-round. And the tendency in Silicon Valley is to raise as much as you possibly can and to grow as fast as you possibly can the challenge, though, is that if you raise a bunch of money, you have to go spend that money. You experiment with a number of different marketing channels. You're sort of, there's this pressure to kind of throw money around to grow more quickly. And I have been very adamant around, you know, we've raised $40 million. It's not like we haven't raised very much, but I've been very adamant around not falling into that. We have a board with very sort of just people, you know, they work at Etsy, they work at Minted, they work at a number of big companies. And and our philosophy is we will grow when we feel confidence in the channel. We're going to spend money when we feel confidence that we're going to return. We're going to grow in scalable ways um, and we're going to be sustainable and uh, we're going to make the capital work for us, right? As opposed to sort of burning through tens of millions of dollars and, and 
hoping that you spend enough of it in the right place to grow. Yeah, no, I, I understand. So you're really focusing on controlled, scalable growth. Exactly, and profitable growth. Yes, got you. So are you guys profitable right now? We are, yes. Okay, awesome. And um, I'm really curious as well, when it comes to, you know, the tools that you provide and the marketplace, is that difficult because you don't have a singular product focus? Do you mean because we're a marketplace that we don't have a singular focus? Yeah, but you also provide the tools, right, for, for you know, uh, like uh, hairdressers and, you know, beauty places and stuff like that for, for them to, to, to run their business. Yeah, so it's interesting. I mean, as far as the public is concerned, Style Seed is a consumer-facing product where anyone can go and search for a haircut in their city. They can find, you know, dozens or hundreds of professionals. They can book and pay from their phone. But actually, internally, our DNA is only at least 95% around the professionals. So we consider ourselves to be a business tool for beauty professionals. We live and breathe their needs. And all we are trying to do every single day is provide them with value so that they can be more successful and and be better business owners. So while it might seem like we do a lot of things, the DNA of the business, the thing that we think about every day when we come into the office is how can we help more professionals in the beauty space run and grow their business? Got you. So from the two-sided marketplace side, you're mainly focused on, or you're saying like your biggest focus is is looking after the, the hairstyles and beauty professionals more than the consumer it, well, in terms of absolutely. focus on products. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'll tell you, you know, our community is 75% women. Um, so they're female business owners. They're in 82% of U.S. cities. They're very much you know, one of the reasons why I started this company is because I love helping the underdog, right? And when you think about people that choose to start their own companies, it's risky. There's all these things that are barriers. And there's so many reasons why not to do that, but they want to build their lives around doing something that they love and they want to help other people. Um, and so that is DNA of style seed. It's how can we help these incredible people be more successful? And that's by providing them with better business tools. It's by connecting them with customers. It's through marketing. It's through you know payments. It's a lot of stuff. Um, but that's really the DNA of who we are. Mm, okay, I see. And you know, one thing I will tell you is is it's hard for local businesses, like these local brick and mortar stores and businesses. They're doing it tough. Um, would you, what, what, what do you, do you agree or or what are your thoughts? It is incredibly hard because if you think about a beauty professional, right? Number one, they're artists. They are creative at heart. They love their customers. They love their art. They're incredibly talented, but starting a company, 95% of it is business fundamentals. It's finding an accountant, building a website, thinking about marketing, what's your referral program, how do you price your services, what's your marketing, you know, to growth philosophy. It's it's things that are not creative innately. And so it is incredibly hard for someone who's really gifted on the creative side to also do that other stuff, Um, which is why, you know, we're automating all of that. We're letting the robots deal with 
so much of that and allowing them to just think about their customers and what they do best. And I think there's, there's tremendous freedom that's created in that. And there's also, um, you know, our, our professionals double their revenue in the first 15 months of being on the platform. Yeah. Wow. And that's because of the, the tools that you guys provide and, and the levels and, and connecting people through the marketplace. Yeah, exactly. I mean, so many small businesses in America are still being run via pen and paper. They're tracking their client information that way, their schedules. And so we do really basic things that have tremendous impact. We remind our clients when it's time to book again. Um, over 50% of appointments are booked outside of office hours. They're booked like in the middle of the night. And if you miss those appointments, that client might not call back again for another week or two, right? Which means over the course of the year, you're missing out on, you know, four, six appointments, which is significant revenue for customers. So it, it's things like just making it seamless for these businesses to connect with their customers, to grow, to do their taxes, to understand their business metrics and to market to new customers. And all of that stuff added up has tremendous impact. Mm. I see. And, and like, I'd like to switch gears. Talk to me around the internals of, uh, you know, running a company the size of, of Style Seat and, and the traction that you guys have. What are some of the challenges that you're facing right now around just growing it? That's a really great question. I feel like, I mean, the, the vision for the business and the overall vision for the product has almost not changed since we've started, it really hasn't, um, which has been very interesting because I didn't think that would be the case. I feel though like the biggest challenge for the business changes every month. Um, like I'll give you an example. So we, for a little while, were experimenting with business models. This was before we really scaled revenue. We were making revenue, but it was time to sort of double down on a certain model and we were experimenting with a few for example, we could charge a monthly fee to our stylist. We could charge a transaction fee for all the dollars that are crossing our platform, which are, you know, over a billion and a half dollars per year. Um, and then we could charge a lead gen fee to get the new customers, which was a stylist's biggest challenge is that they want new customers and they're willing to pay a lot for that. And, and that was a service we wanted to provide. So we were thinking about that stuff. So the biggest challenge at that time was how can we run enough experiments to be able to feel really confident about picking a business model because those business models are all very different. Growth is different. Opportunity is different. Um, the risks around execution are different. And so it was like, all right, we got it. We have to figure this out. We have to feel really great about the results of the test that we're running because we're betting the farm on whatever it ends up being. And then we, we picked one and it was like, okay, now the biggest goal that we have is we have to scale this business model. We have to turn it on. We have to make sure that our customers are happy. And that was the biggest challenge. And then once once we did that, the biggest challenge became, okay, well, now we have to think about onboarding. How we how do we improve that experience? We haven't thought about this in a while because we've grown 100% organically and it's been so strong that we haven't really had to. Um, and so we fixed that. And, and then it becomes, okay, well, how do we think about growth and really meaningfully growing, like doubling, tripling, quadrupling the growth of the business. Um, and so that's kind of what we're thinking about now. So it feels like every quarter, maybe there's a, a huge initiative that we're running. I mean, there's so many more that I can think of, but it changes consistently. And I think as a, a CEO, you have to 
really focus on understanding your business deeply and focusing yourself and the team on the right challenges and addressing them in the right way. Mm. And when it comes to to those, you know, quarterly focuses, is that more reactive or is it planned? Uh, I know I'm making it sound really reactive. It it is it is planned. So I I mean you have to react to things as they come. If the data isn't what you thought it was, if something doesn't go as planned, you have to react to that. But generally, you know, my job is to understand the state of the union and to predict and drive the team where we need things to go. And so I'll lay out for the year, you know, here's the themes for each of the quarters. We're going to kick this off in Q1. We're going to really scale it and uh, grow that initiative in Q2, Q3. We're going to move on to the next phase. So that is, that's what I really love actually planning and predicting. And I love being proven wrong. We're very, very data-driven organization. But yeah, all of this stuff is like my most favorite thing. Awesome. Um, You got me really curious around, you know, how you said you were testing different business models. Like that is scary. Like how do you, because you've got, you know, all these people and using your platform. Um, I'm I'm really curious, like how did you know which was the right one, which would be the right pathway and, and how much data, like what, what kind of rule of thumb did you use to say, yes, all right, this is this is the model. This is the perfect model. This this is what's going to make the business work what, the best for us. What we're looking for. How did you know? That's a great question. I think it's a combination of gut and data, and in some cases, sleepless nights. Because um, because you know, a couple of years ago, we were at a point where our scale was so large, and we were for the most part free for the majority of our customers. And so I always knew that we would be able to identify a business model. It was more of vetting which ones are the right ones. But there's also tremendous, you know, fear isn't the right word, but like you have to really be methodical about identifying and feeling good about what choice you make because, you know, that's a decision that takes the company to the right or to the left. And there's tremendous ramifications for your team, for your investors, for your community, for the future of the company. So these are things you have to take very, very seriously. For example, I wanted to, in the beginning, what I was so excited about with this industry is that I wanted to think through, is there an opportunity for us to really fill the schedules of our stylists to drive them new customers through innovative ways and to help them grow their business that way? And we ran a number of experiments and we found, yes, we can do this sustainably. Yes, this is their biggest need. Yes, we can fill it. And we had a really unique product to help do that. But what I realized is if we want to scale this, it's going to take significant capital and I'm going to go have to raise a lot of money. We want to be the, you know, sort of traditional marketplaces in America are like Uber, they're Postmates, they're... Um, I mean, there's a number of them, Airbnb, and all of those companies have raised significant capital because that's how much it costs to scale. So I realized, all right, this is a multi-billion dollar opportunity. And the data shows that this is very, very real potential for us. But I sort of had to take a step back and say, do I want to go raise $100 million? Do I want to scale up this company like those other companies have? And I realized, actually, I... I don't. What I'd rather do is focus on our customer and just build an incredible product for them. So we ended up going with a SaaS business model and charging them a monthly fee, which 
means that, you know, we're not making that billion dollars immediately, but it means that we are able to really focus on the product to acquire customers, to drive them tremendous value. And that other option is there if we want it down the road. So when I talk about it now, it's like simple, but at the time, these are like big things that we wrestled with and that I wrestled with with the board. And I'm happy with our decision we made, but you know, they are challenging, especially at the time. Yeah, no, because yeah, it's, um, it is interesting because you guys are like a marketplace, like an Uber, two-sided marketplace, like an Uber, like an Airbnb, but they don't have like a recurring subscription. And I, I'm at the camp. I love recurring and it breeds predictability. It, I think it lowers uh, risk in, in many aspects or especially around cash. Um, so no, that's really interesting that, that you made that decision, but I, I think fundamentally it, it's a smart one. Um, just, just, I, I think for you to eat, sleep easier at night, right? Totally. I mean, it, it was very much the non-sexy decision, right? Again, Silicon Valley, there's a lot of folks that are like, go big, go bigger, go home. And what I realized is, yes, we can, we can absolutely do that. Or we can turn on this other revenue stream, become profitable immediately. And we can have the time to do all that other stuff when we choose. And that to me was what I really cared about. And, you know, my board supported me and the team supported me and, and we're all very happy that that's where uh, we ended up. But, you know, again, like these are, these are challenging decisions to make at a time. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I really appreciate your honesty and transparency. Um, look, we have to work towards wrapping up because uh, I'm super mindful of your time. Just uh, last uh, two, two more questions. Um, first one is uh, any final words of wisdom that you would like to share for aspiring female founders or, you know, any, any, any kind of aspiring founders or novice stage founders uh, that are, you know, really in the depths of, of, of just launching their company and trying to grow it. And then also the best place people can find out more about yourself and style seat. Sure. Um, I would say number one, find amazing mentors to so go out there and find people who have built companies who are true operators, who've raised money, who've run businesses, because there's a lot of a lot of folks out there, and especially um, investors who have not done that, but want to make decisions or or you know be involved. And I think the smartest decisions I've ever made have come in support of you know with the help of amazing mentors who have done it and have been in the trenches. I would say especially go find mentors who are women who are operators because. This industry, I mean, starting a company is challenging, right? And starting a company as a woman brings its own unique challenges. And so go find badasses who are supportive of you and are going to help you and really rooting for your success and keep you honest and kick your ass a little bit. But uh, they'll give you the best possible advice. And then I see the third thing is do something that you love. Um, I get to spend my days, you know, building products for female business owners who are all badasses and who are all over America and living crazy different lives. And I love it. It thrills me. Um, and when they win, I win. And so that makes all of the late nights and the hard decisions and the crazy things that you have to do worth it um, if you love what you do. So make sure you deeply, deeply love um, whatever it is that you're building your business around. Awesome. 
and uh, best place people can find out more about yourself and StyleSeat? Right. Um, so StyleSeat, StyleSeat.com. You can also go and download our app in the App Store. And then for me, I don't know. My Instagram is at Melody. Probably the best way to find information about me. I don't use, really use Twitter that much anymore, so that's probably where the, the good stuff's at. Awesome. Well, look, uh, thank you so much for your time, Melody. It was great chatting with you. And uh, yeah, I um, yeah, hope you have a fantastic new year. Thank you. You too. Um, and gosh, I hope 2018 is great. I think it's going to be great. Yeah, me too. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview. As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content either start or grow their business, which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in-depth on teaching a particular topic, and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.